your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. It is daylight savings time Sunday. I heard of a preacher one time who, on this day, he got up and he made a big show of turning his watch back and he said, y'all gained your extra hour last night, I'm going to gain mine right now. I guarantee you that's not going to happen today. Daylight savings time is that Sunday that I kind of I know as um, sleep during the sermon Sunday. Not just today, but in the spring as well when, when the time changes. Spring, when the time changes, everybody's tired because they lost an hour of sleep. In the fall, everybody sleeps because they think it's nap time already. It feels like a forever morning to get to this point this morning. I don't know, anybody else wake up early? No, everybody slept in, didn't they? I want, to, um, I want to start off this morning by giving away two books. Uh, I did this two weeks ago, and, um, and I want to do it again. The first is one that I gave away a couple of weeks ago. It's the Scripture Journal for ESV uh, for the Book of Romans. And with this, I have a question, and, and whoever can answer this question first gets this book, okay? Um, and it's this one. Where was Paul when he wrote the Book of Romans? Oh, man. Noah, you know the answer? Where is it? What city was Paul in? <laughs> you know what? I'm going to give you one. I got another one, okay? I'm going to give you one here in just a little while after the service is over. What city was Paul in? No, he was not in Ephesus. It was a good try. Anybody? I heard it. Who said it? James. No, no, not Caesarea. Susie, uh, Sarah. No, he's not in Rome. I keep hearing, right here. Corinth. He was in Corinth. That's exactly right. This is yours, okay? <laughs> Great job. I'll get it to you here after the service, all right? I have another, I have another book that I want to give. And, and first, let me introduce this book, okay? This is put out by Kaleidoscope Kids. Some time ago, our family found Kaleidoscope Kids. And what they do is they, they write um, almost like elementary versions of books of the Bible, so we went, recently went through the book of Daniel. We've been through the book of Joshua, just in our family devotions. On the back it says, Kaleidoscope is reimagining kids' Bibles for children of all ages. In beautifully designed single volumes, we are retelling the whole story of the Bible, book by book, at an elementary level. Well, this is the book of Romans. They actually just came out with it a couple of weeks ago. So when we ordered our copy, we ordered an extra one to give away here today. So this is only for those who have kids, because I want it to be utilized for, for you and your kids. And here's the question. What was it that I said the last two Sundays is the theme verses of the book of Romans? If you have kids and know the answer to that, raise your hand. Give you a real big hint. It's the passage we're looking at today. What is that? It is 16 and 17, but that's close enough. You got it. I'll get it to see you afterwards, Logan. Thank you. All right, let's, uh, let's jump in here with verses 16. Actually, we're going to jump in with verse 13. I'm going to read through verse 17, but we are going to focus today on 16 and 17. So look with me, Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. 
For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Would you pray with me? Our Father, as we come to your word today, I pray just very simply that you will let us understand what it is that your word says, but Father, we also very humbly come asking for your word to change our lives. We know that the Holy Spirit searches the deep things of our hearts and our minds. So Father, in this, in this time in your word today, may the Holy Spirit so search our minds and hearts that then we are convicted of what we need to do to live according to your word. Father, we love you, but we only love you because you first sent Jesus to die in our place. You loved us first. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name I pray, amen. amen. All right, <clears throat> let's jump in here. Paul says he is eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He's been preaching the gospel all over the known world, but he's eager to go to Rome. And we talked about that last week. Rome is a very tough place to preach the gospel. The gospel proclaims Jesus alone as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But if you go to Rome in this time period, you would see these, these images of Caesar everywhere. And underneath is the caption, the inscription, the King of kings and Lord of lords. In other words, what's being proclaimed is Caesar is king of kings and lord of lords. And so when a Christian comes and preaches the gospel in Rome, it is treated as treason. This person is guilty of treason against the crown, against the emperor. So think about this culture in Rome at this time, where these Christians are proclaiming that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords instead of the emperor. It's a tough, tough time to be in Rome. Paul is saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That gospel that's being preached, there's no shame there whatsoever. Paul knows the truth. And he's willing to proclaim the truth, even on the footstool of the emperor, if given the chance. I wonder when, when, if when, when Paul said this, when he gave this phrase, I am not ashamed of the gospel, I wonder if there's some people or maybe some, some circumstances that he was thinking of that, that led him to say that. He's probably thinking about what's going on in Rome at the time, but also think that maybe he's thinking about some history here. Take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. I want to look at some examples of some men who were ashamed, even afraid of the gospel. Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to start reading in verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And get this, and all the disciples said the same. Now this is a proclamation here. Even if I must die with you, Jesus, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. 
Jump down to verse 47 now. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. And they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Now jump down to verse 56. Hold on, verse, uh, verse 69. No, 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 verse 56. I'm lost here a little bit. Give me just one second to go ahead. At the end of verse 56, then all the disciples left him and fled. You see that? Then all the disciples left Jesus and fled. Man, what in the world happened to even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Right? That's the words that they just said just a moment ago. But then all the disciples left him and fled. Now jump down to verse 69. Here's another example of this shame. Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You were also with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter was ashamed of Jesus. All the disciples were. They ran away in fear. Peter was afraid of what might happen if he affirmed his relationship with Jesus. Now, we know that later on, Peter's not ashamed at all. In fact, he boldly proclaims that Jesus alone is the one who can provide salvation. He goes all through the rest of his life boldly proclaiming Jesus alone for salvation. You, get to, you don't have to turn there, but First, first Timothy chapter uh, 1, Paul speaks repeatedly about this idea of being ashamed. He tells Peter, excuse me, he tells Timothy in verse 8, he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Uh, Four verses later, verse 12, Paul says, For I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I think a better translation of that is, I know in whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know that the God who saved me is the God who will sustain me all the way till I I reach the presence of Jesus. There's no reason for shame for the simple fact that God is going to sustain me and carry me through whatever comes along. Now, as I'm, as I'm preparing this this week, I'm thinking about Paul's statement there, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I thought, well, what is it, what is it that makes people ashamed? So Christians today, what is it that makes Christians ashamed of the gospel? I believe it's because the gospel is foolish. Now, when something is, is foolish, it means that only a fool will believe it. And, and certainly only a fool is going to act on it and live it. And Paul agrees with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's what Paul says in verses 18 through 31. And you can write in your notes there so you can go back there later. It's not going to be on the screen for you. You can turn to it right now. But I want to read verses 18 through 31. Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The story of God and of his offer of redemption through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is a fool's message to the world. Mark Twain is, is probably someone that you would have read his books when you were, um, when you were growing up. Um, a classic author, a funny guy. I mean, he was, he was, he was hilarious. But one of the things that he's re- remembered for is his criticism of organized religion. In fact, he made fun of preachers and of preaching on a regular basis. One Sunday, Mark Twain attended a Sunday service, and afterwards he met the preacher at the door, and he said that he had a book at home with every word that the preacher preached that morning. Well, the minister assured him that the sermon was an original that he himself had written the sermon, but Mark Twain still held his position. So the preacher demanded to see this book. Twain said that he was sent it over to his office the next morning. When the preacher unwrapped it, he found a dictionary, and in the flyleaf was written these words, words, just words, just words. You know, the world looks at our message, and they say, How can you believe in in one God in three parts? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How can you believe that this God is the only God and that he created the world? How can you believe that mankind is born sinners with no hope for salvation apart from the atoning work of Jesus on the cross? How can you believe in a bodily resurrection in which God the Father raised God the Son from the literal grave? How can you be so closed-minded to believe that Jesus is the only way to God, that there's not many ways, and that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father? How can you believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and that he is alive and well in the lives of Christians? How can you believe in a final judgment that will one day separate those who belong to God through their faith in Jesus from those who reject Jesus? How can you believe that there is a life after death in only one of two places, heaven or hell. How can you believe all of this? And you say, well, I don't really hear those questions. Well, I do, and I read those questions everywhere. Those are things that people truly believe about Christians. How can you believe those things? You see, the world looks at the gospel and they see foolishness, they see idiots, but Paul says, I'm not ashamed. There's no reason for shame because I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able 
to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. First Corinthians chapter one, Paul, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? So that no human being could boast. Folks, please hear me. Um, the only shame that should ever be a part of your spiritual life is if you pridefully and arrogantly reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, in that case, in the case of the world today, they don't feel shame right now, but there is coming a day in which the weight of shame will be so heavy that they cannot stand up under the pressure of it. But for the Christian, we're on the winning side. So no shame is needed. Paul reminds us, the writer of Hebrews reminds us of this in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that we're looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And then you know what's next? Despising the shame. And then what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus dealt with the shame already so we wouldn't have to. Our righteousness According to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, our positional sanctification, our redemption has been secured. Why would we ever be ashamed of something that has so radically changed our lives? You can be ashamed of the gospel, but by doing so, you're rejecting what you once proclaimed to be absolutely true. Christian, if you, there was a time in your life in which you said, you, you knew without a doubt that God had sent Jesus to save you. You repented of your sin. You gave your life to Jesus. But now, you know what? I'm afraid to talk to that person or to share that I'm a Christian. That's being ashamed of the gospel. When the Holy Spirit's nudging me to do this or do that, but I don't do it, I push him away. That's being ashamed of the gospel. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. There's power in the gospel. The word power there is referring to um, might, to energy, to force, strength, all of these things that dwell within God. There's a couple of ways of understanding this idea of the gospel being the power of God. First, the gospel teaches us about God's power. And if you're writing notes, you should write that down. The gospel teaches about God's power. It teaches about God's power. Think about this. Only an almighty, all-knowing, loving, and very just God could orchestrate the gospel. Only a God who has the power that our God has could do all of this. So in looking at the gospel, we see a glimpse of our God. It teaches us about our God. But the gospel doesn't just teach us about God. The gospel also contains the power of God. It contains the power of God. Paul says it, the gospel is the power of God that leads to salvation for everyone who believes. Now you could hear the story of Jesus and many people have. They've heard the story of Jesus without the good news of Jesus gripping their hearts and leading them to, in faith, repent of their sin and surrender their lives to Jesus. It is entirely possible for a person to hear the story of Jesus over and over and over again with no stirring of their soul. But for those who soften their heart to the gospel message and they humble themselves before the almighty God, the power of the gospel will transform their lives in ways that they never, ever could have imagined. Charles Spurgeon 
once said, the power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise, men would have been converters of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise, it would consist of wisdom of men. We might preach till our tongues rotted till we should exhaust our lungs and die, but never a soul would be converted unless there was a mysterious power going with it. I could stand up here and I could talk all day long, but if the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel is not at work, then it's going to do nothing at all. You could share with your lost friends about Jesus over and over and over and over again, but if the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit is not working in that, then it's all for nothing. But we do have that promise. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes. It is the power. That's a promise, y'all. It's not just me standing up here. It's not just you sharing with your friend about Jesus. No, there is a mysterious power, to use the words of Charles Spurgeon, at work. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power at work in the gospel. And Paul says that it is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. When Paul uses that phrase, that phrase there, the Jew first and also to the Greek, he's not saying that the Jew is, is more important than the Greek. What he's saying is that in the very beginning, the gospel was available to the Jew first, right there in Jerusalem. It was largely rejected by the Jews. And so then the dispersion of the gospel went out all over the world. It's available to everybody. It was available to everybody from the beginning. But now the world is learning, is learning about the gospel. Verse 17 For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. So much of the book of Romans is hinged on this idea of righteousness. In fact, if I was to give you a very rough outline of the book, here's what it would look like. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Here's a very rough outline of the book of Romans. Chapter 1, verses 18 through chapter 3, verse 20. We're going to start here next week. No one is righteous. No one seeks after God. No one is righteous. Chapter 3, verse 21 through 521, a person is declared righteous by faith in Jesus. Chapter 6, Christians are now slaves to righteousness. Starting in chapter 9, is Paul's defense of God's righteousness. Starting in chapter 12, this is what a righteous life looks like in church and in the world. Righteousness is all through the book of Romans. <clears throat> the product of the gospel in the redeemed life of a believer is righteousness. Righteousness will inevitably be the result. Mankind's got a great big problem. The problem is that they think that they're righteous by their own efforts and that God's going to be happy with them for their own efforts. But there is no way to produce righteousness on our own. Righteousness has to be a gift given rather than a wage earned. It's got to be a gift given rather than a wage earned. But when faith is placed in the gospel and, in, and Jesus is believed on in the heart, God gives the gift of righteousness. He declares us righteous. What man cannot do by effort, God does by his power. What man cannot do by effort, God does by his power. 
And with that gift of righteousness comes everything that we could ever want or hope for in religion. Peace with God, acceptance by God, a right standing with God, a hope and a future in the presence of God. All of this is so much more is what is offered with that imputation of righteousness. We're going to talk about that word imputation here in a couple of weeks. Imputation of righteousness. Verse 17, I'm going to read it again. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For faith, or excuse me, from faith for faith. I want you to think about this in terms of beginning faith and ending faith, okay? The Christian has faith that began their relationship with God. It was that initial faith, that faith in Jesus as the propitiation for our sins and and faith to believe that Jesus alone is Lord. That's beginning faith. Ending faith continues on, okay? I, I didn't say finished faith. I said ending faith. Ending faith continues on. It's the faith that God is who he says he is and that his promises are true and that he will be faithful to carry through with his promises all the way to eternity. From faith, so beginning faith, For faith, ending faith. The beginning faith launches us into a lifetime of ending faith. So the faith that's going to carry us all the way through to eternity. Paul says, the righteous shall live by faith. They are marked by their faith. Not only their beginning faith, but their ending faith. Now as I get ready to close here, I want to to take a quick poll. Um, It's election week. Anybody know that? You haven't seen any advertisements whatsoever for it, I'm sure. There's been polls that's been taking place for months now where people try to figure out, all right, who's going to win on election day? This is a little bit, of dif- a little bit different poll. This is personal. And I'm going to ask some questions, and then, and then um, just in the quietness of your seat, you can think about the answer and, and answer it for yourself. But Paul used those words, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. So here's the first question. Are you ashamed of the gospel? And I would imagine that the most people in this room would would probably answer no to that. You're not ashamed of the gospel. But then we got follow-up questions to that. Are you quick or slow to tell other people that you're a Christian? Are you quick or slow to tell other people that you're a Christian? Do you in any way hide the fact that you attend church? Have you ever, or even recently, shared your faith with anyone? When the Holy Spirit's prompted you to do or say something, do you ignore him? Do you push him aside? You know, in the past, I've always read that and kind of as Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, I've said, yeah, Paul, yeah, me either. But then I really start to bear down on what that means. And I realized that, you know what, a lot more often than I care to admit, I am ashamed of the gospel. Lord, help me not to be. In the 1800s, Catherine 
Hanke wrote the hymn, I Love to Tell the Story. Here's two of the verses. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, t'will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. I love to tell the story, t'will be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Do you love to tell the story? Father, I pray that you instill in us a passion to tell the story. To tell the story of Jesus and his life, his sacrifice, his resurrection. To tell the story of Jesus and his love. Father, to take that good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to not be ashamed of it, but to make sure that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to hear and respond to it. Father, knowing that the power of the gospel is not in our ability, it's not in our efforts, it's just there because you've given it. Father, our job is to tell the story. Yours is to change lives. Father, we thank you for the lives that have been changed, the testimonies in this room even, Lord, of of changed lives. Oh, but Father, would you bring a harvest of so many more changed lives? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.